You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. We are going to pick up, we're basically going to continue our introduction to what we're coming up on in the study of Thessalonians, and that is living in the light of the last days. Living in the light of the last days. A study in Thessalonians, we're reminded that God's plan at the beginning of the church age will continue to the end of the church age. We're a part of the perpetuation of God's great plan for the ages. And, and again, I just want to re- reiterate what I just got through saying, and that is that God Almighty started this thing called the church and the church age. And remember, we were talking about in Sunday school. When we're talking about the church, we're predominantly talking about local churches. Uh, now, we're talking about local churches as they work together and are salt and light in their communities and so forth. Um, but these local churches, that was God's idea. And it's just cool that when Jesus started, that when the church age started, that was his plan. And it's still his plan today. The church is still his plan. And I, I just say that because at the risk of getting ahead of myself, when we start actually getting into the book of First and Second Thessalonians, we're going to see that there's some extremely practical lessons that are being taught to us as Christians in the book of Thessalonians. And I, the reason I say that's interesting because sometimes I almost get the sense that people look at me and just say, Pastor, do you see what's going on in the world? Church is not enough. This practical, everyday living as a Christian stuff isn't enough. We, you know, we've got to do something greater. We've got to do something more. And, and I say to that, what greater, what, what, what's something greater we can do besides what we were told to do? And what we, you know, continue the church. Keep living right. Keep doing right. Keep being a witness. And, and, and again, be salt and light. That is a part of it. Be, you know, be involved. Make a difference. Speak up. Take a stand. All of those things. But we do that within the framework and the context of, yeah, I am a part of the local church. I am doing my part in my community, in my family, in in my church to make a difference for the cause of Christ. So it's cool. God is not, the the directions from then follow through to now. So, uh, So in our previous visit to the city of Thessalonica, when we were here last week, we saw a move of God. Uh, Jews got saved, Gentiles were getting saved, a number of people getting saved. We saw the move of Satan. God moved, but you mark it down, God starts to move, Satan's going to move. If God's working in your life, Satan's going to try to work against you in your life. Every time. Satan fight. you know, that's why I'm glad Emily said it. We need to pray for one another. You know why? Because we're all facing and fighting spiritual battles, every last one of us. Uh, And it's one of the reasons why one of the things that we try to have as a, a norm in our church is the whole kind of being real deal. And what I mean by that is just simply, it's okay. You know, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. I was, I was, helping, my, uh, I was helping Hannah out on the side of the road uh, the other day. She had a flat tire, and so it just let us have some time to spend together. And, but while I was out there, you know, I'm just like, hey, how you doing, dear? And she's like, oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing fine. And she was like, how about you? I was like, oh, I'm doing good. Then I'm like, uh, you know, really I'm not. I'm heartbroken right now. And I've got a burden right now. I'm, I had a hard time going to sleep last night because I couldn't get this, get something off my mind. 
And I was talking to her, so I was telling her kind of what was going on. And, and I said, then, uh, same thing this morning. I, I, got a, I couldn't sleep this morning because I think I was having dreams about, you know, it's, it's on your mind so much you, you, you'd even dream about it. And I, and I said, I'd, and then you know what she said? She said, well, I guess, honestly, she said, I ain't doing so fine either. You know, uh, I'm not having the best day starting out either. Um, and, and I'm just saying that that's one of the, the realities that we need to have. The devil fights us. Now, it may not be on the scale that the Thessalonians were fighting here and being fought, but it still matters. And I think that's why it's important that we don't try to all be super spiritual all the time and that we can say, I'm having a tough time. Uh, It's very important. It is very important for us to be able to talk to somebody and say, I'm having a terrible time with this temptation or that temptation. Now, maybe that's not something you share with everyone, but it's important that you have somebody in your life that you can say, well, I'm really struggling with this today or this week. Um, it's okay not to be okay because we, what, we don't need to act like we're not in a battle. We don't need to try to act like we're, we're not engaged in spiritual warfare. Being engaged in spiritual warfare, being a victorious Christian, doesn't mean you aren't getting beat up and knocked down sometimes. The reason you, you can't be victorious if you're not fighting, right? You can't be triumphant. Triumphant, you don't go win a, I mean... I could win a bunch of basketball games if it was just me out on the court. Uh, at least 50% of them. Uh, I think I could do pretty darn good. But, uh, but what if you put somebody out there? Well, then there's going to be some ebb and flow to it. And I don't know why sometimes we get this perception of the Christian life like, yep, I'm a Christian, I'm a victorious Christian. What's that mean? That means it's just all smooth and good and, man, I'm just, and I'm, I'm on the winning side. And we are on the winning side. But it doesn't mean we don't get knocked down and shot down and hit. And, not, and, and that's why we need to... Can you, imagine two, can you imagine soldiers being... We were just celebrating Memorial Day. Can you imagine a soldier being shot, uh, hit by shrapnel, whatever the case may be? And can you imagine another the soldier jumping up and said, I knew you weren't going to make it. You know? Or something like that. Or be just like, man, what's your problem? You know? I hadn't got shot. I mean, of course, that's just a totally ridiculous scenario but as christians we need to understand that uh, the battle is real so satan was fighting against the church at thessalonica however and we'll look at look at that real quick uh, Acts 17 verses 6 through 8 the bible says and when they found them not they drew jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also man i love that phrase terminology whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled... Can I just tell you something right here? Let me read verse 8. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Uh, do, you think, do you think the Jews that were accusing the, these, these people before the Roman authorities really thought that the king that they were talking about worshiping was actually a threat to Caesar? Or I dare say most of them didn't. What I mean to say is just simply, they're doing what they can. They're saying what they can. They're making false accusations. Uh, and, and the accusations aren't entirely false, but you understand what I'm saying. They're trying to um, be, uh, be, be slanderous. And, and all I mean to say by that is this. People will do that to you. And, and that happens to Christians a lot. I mean, you know, you listen to what the world says this is about tonight. 
versus what this is actually about tonight. Uh, what we're trying to preach, what we're trying to do, the, uh, who we're trying to reach, what we believe. And, you, and, and it's quite a, bit, a difference uh, of what, the, uh, of what the, the, the picture that the world is painting. Um, to think, to think that today, that there's people that, that literally think, I mean, I'm talking about, uh, and I'm not trying to be paranoid or nothing like that, but there's people that think we, that sitting around this church, if you look around, these are the most dangerous people in the country right now. Most dangerous people in the country right now. But you know one thing I want to say about that? That tells me something. That means they know we're dangerous. Now, we're not dangerous in the way they're saying we're dangerous. But if they're saying we're dangerous in, hey, they're going to turn the world upside down or they're going to keep trying to, well, they're right about that much, amen. We do want to be dangerous to their cause, which is going, you know, which is, which is against life, uh, which, is, which is for violence and which is for, uh, you know, murder and all these other things. Uh, yeah, guess what? We are against that. Um, but, uh, but, but anyway, that, that's what was going on here. But the point is this, the church marches on because over the next few weeks, we're going to be preaching out of the book of Thessalonians. Uh, and what we're going to find out is that the church went on. God worked, God moved, and uh, Satan fought. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The two letters to the Thessalonians prove that the church continued. Now, if you'll just follow with me here, look in verse number 10. Uh, we didn't get a lot into this last week. But what you'll find out is there seemed to be an agreement made with Jason and the people that were saved for Paul and Silas to leave town. And Paul and Silas, and by the way, I, I did kind of want to preach about this, but at the same time I'm trying to move on, so I'll just give it to you quick. Interesting thing here. What, how do you feel about this? Paul and Silas preaching, and they're there for weeks. I believe they were there for months, uh, and, and, I, and, and we can discuss that if you're interested, uh, because it was more than just three Sabbaths. It just specifies three Sabbaths, but uh, that uh, there was trouble that arose, and as a result of that, Paul and Silas slipped out quietly, snuck out of town, basically. And it seems that Jason agreed and said, hey, get out of here, Paul. We're having, we're having a lot of persecution right now. Um, now, I say that because th that goes against the picture that we have of things sometimes, don't it? We would think that if Paul and Silas were right with God, they would stand there and, and keep on preaching until they killed him. But what's the Bible say? Was that, is it Matthew 5, 12? I'd be proud if I remembered that. Well, good thing God didn't want me proud. Amen. Uh, but I want you to give me that verse uh, that Jesus said that was interesting uh, in context of that. Now he's on the spot and he may not be able to find it. But it's interesting, in other words, that that was what the church did. Paul and Silas left. They did not sit, stand there till they died. They left and went on to the next place. Jason agreed, yeah, Paul, Silas, y'all probably ought to get out of here because it's causing a pretty big ruckus. All right, what is 1023 of Matthew? Read, read it for me. Okay, and that's, that's good enough. And there it is. When they persecute you in this city, flee, flee to another. There's times Jesus said, run, run. 
Uh, it, it reminds me, uh, I, I don't want to try to quote the, the battle exactly, but I know it was during the Korean War that there was a time that I think leading up to the Battle of Ch- the, the Chosin Reservoir, uh, which if you know much about the Korean War was just uh, uh, a dreadful nightmare. But I know there was some, th- some terms around that to where there were, there were people that I think that eventually we did have a strategic retreat. Um, not, and, and there, I know we, we think about March 4, don't ever retreat, don't ever go back. Well, Jesus said there's times to retreat. And we can have a conversation about when you do that and when you don't do it. But Jesus said to do it, flee. He said, take off. Get out of here. Don't stand there until you die. Flee, he said. There's times that we don't flee, but there's times that we do. But there's times that's strategic in war, in battle. Uh, not, uh, wars wouldn't be won if nobody ever retreated. Uh, you know, there, there, there are strategic retreats, and there's something that that's called that I can't remember right now. Chad? Okay, so those are the, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, you know. That, but again, I, I thought that would be an interesting conversation, and it is an interesting conversation, but uh, I'm going to leave that there for now, okay? So they left, all right? Paul and Silas left, and we're going to try to get back to this point. I'm talking about living in the light of the last days, and you say, well, you're not there yet. Uh, but I believe that we are, that we're all around it. But look at Acts 17, verse 10. The Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. Unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And we'll stop reading right there. But what you'll find out, here's what happened. Uh, this is about 50 miles south uh, of, Thessalon- of Thessalonica is Berea. So they went about 50 miles south. Once again, they encountered opposition by some antagonistic Jews. And here's the thing. You want to know how uh, passionate religion can be against true Christianity People from Thessalonica came 50 miles down to Berea to fight against them and try to stir up the Jews there against Paul and Silas. But you'll remember that the Berean Christians, there were still that, the Berean church, and uh, God, God did a work there, but we're not preaching about that tonight. Uh, but basically what happened in Berea? Paul's preaching uh, that, uh, it, uh, again, they basically got run out of Berea. Uh, after leaving Berea, Paul traveled alone to Athens. And you can read that in Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. And then he went from Athens to Corinth. He was deeply concerned uh, when he got into Corinth. He couldn't get, God still had this, these Thessalonian believers in his mind. He couldn't get them off his heart. He couldn't get them off his mind. He was concerned about them. So he sent Timothy to check on their welfare some months later. Then Timothy, later Timothy and Silas rejoined Paul in Corinth, bringing him news of the condition uh, of the Thessalonian church. And you can read that in Acts, or eight, Acts 18, verse 5, as well as 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 6. After hearing of the continued faithfulness of the Thessalonian converts uh, to Christ in the, midst of, in the midst of persecution... Paul sent them the communication known to us as his, his first epistle to the Thessalonians in A.D. 50 or 51 from Corinth. He sent the letter in his name and those of Silas and Timothy. And if you want to see that, you could go over to Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse 1. And I may show you a couple other verses out of there before we leave in just a moment. 
Uh, but Thessalonians 1, 1, the Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a pretty cool thing. As you'll find out, there's, there's reasons that we'll probably keep on discussing of why I believe that Paul was there for at least a couple of months. But man, he spent enough time with these people where they got grounded in the Word. And after all the persecution and everything they faced, Paul and Silas had to leave. They had nobody there to help them. Yet, this church is still going on. The church is still going on. Um, and so anyway, that's, it, it's cool to see what God's doing. But he sends a letter back to this church. Now... Here we get to uh, just a few more thoughts on the, inter, in, on the introduction of this thought living in the light of the last days. Because it's the theme of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a, is a significant example of the rich doctrinal and practical content of Pauline teaching in the life and in the light of the Lord's return. Every chapter you'll find the theme of the return of the Lord is prominent. For this reason... First and Thessalonians together have been called, called Paul's eschatological, I could have said that if I wasn't up here and being recorded, uh, epistles, uh, eschatology, uh, his epistles. In First Thessalonians, all right, here we go. Get back with me here. I may have lost you. In First Thessalonians, 23 out of the 89 verses relate to the future. 23 out of, the, out of 89, so about... Uh, you know, more, 26% of the book, a little bit more than one in four, uh, represents uh, uh, something about the future. Second Thessalonians is even more heavily weighed, weighted toward the end times, with 19 of its 47 verses dealing with the future. And that's about 40% of Thessalon of Second Thessalonians. So about 26% of First Thessalonians and about 40% of Second Thessalonians uh, concerns future events, and specifically the Lord's coming. Now, the point is this, I got getting back to it, and again, it's just the introductory part, but living in the light of the last days. And in other words, living, hey, listen, we may be, we may very well be the generation that's alive when Jesus returns. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, <laughs> uh, and so, uh, with that in mind, you know, the, the thing that we understand is that there's a lot of skeptics who scoff at the idea of Jesus coming again. Um, matter of fact, a lot of us have been saved for a long time, and guess what hadn't happened yet, Ronnie? Jesus hadn't come back. Uh, there's some of y'all, well, there's probably not many of us, honestly, but I, there's a few of us in here anyway uh, that uh, I, I can, I'm, I don't know why I said us because I wouldn't be in this number, but I can think of people like uh, Barb and Danny, uh, Stephanie, uh, probably don't, but I can think of a handful of people that have heard about Jesus coming back probably as far back as they can remember. Probably their entire lives they've heard, Jesus is coming again. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day. And He's coming back. Well, you know, there don't seem to be a lot of excitement about that today, although there ought to be because He's coming back. But the, the, the world scoffs at it. And a lot of times the church, you know, remember what Jesus said? Behold, I come quickly. How quickly does it seem to you, Barb? Not very quick in our estimation of things. And so we have, we have skeptics, but I'm telling you, I think if we'd be honest uh, that there's a lot of God's people that are just like, 
So what's the deal with this whole return of the Lord thing? Is He really coming back? Is He literally coming back? Well, folks, He 100%, let me just assure you, He is coming again. He is returning. And we can look around us and see that that's truly coming to pass. And I think there is a lot of awareness, uh, a lot more awareness for it. But, folks, Jesus is coming again. Just as sure, and you've heard me say this a, 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 a number of times, but just as sure as He came the first time, He's coming the second time. And He was promised to come the first time. And in the same promises where He was come, promised to come the first time, it's promising that He's coming again. Why? Because He's coming again. He's not done yet, folks. Notice with me, please, and, I, and I'll try to end with, uh, with this thought tonight. 2 Peter chapter 3, and i got a few verses I want to share there, then a number of thoughts. And, um, but the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So he said there's going to be people scoffing and mocking and making fun about the idea of the Lord coming back. Drop all the way down to verse number 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and as a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So a couple things I'll say here, a couple thoughts I'll give you. Number one, we should remember God's grace when we consider the Lord's apparent delay. Why has He not come yet? Why has He not come? We ought to remember the grace of God. In verse 9 it says what? God's not slack concerning His promise. In other words, He's wanting more people to get saved. He wants all people to be saved. He came to this world that you might be saved. And so that's why a big part of what the church is still supposed to be doing today, and I'm glad Emily shared that testimony, because it's us that's supposed to be trying to help people learn about Christ, learn about their need for salvation. Now understand, what, when you, you say learn about Christ, you'll, have, you'll be hard-pressed to find people that don't know about Jesus, right? At least have some perception of this man called Jesus, this baby called Jesus, whatever it may be. But the disconnect is that few people, I'd still say that few people you know really know why he came. Few people you know really know why. And, 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 and most people you know, isn't it an amazing thing? You talk about the, how, how tricky darkness can be. Most people know that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again the third day. Well, there you go. Everybody knows the gospel. Not true. Because if you don't understand why he did it, you don't really know the gospel. Because if you, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend last night, and, um, and, 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 and he knows that Jesus died. He knows that Jesus rose again. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows all these things. But when, when you really got down to what he was trusting for salvation, I bet you could just about guess what it was. Anybody? You, you can be specific or can you be broad, but I want to dare somebody to be specific here. Works is broad. I want something more specific to the people you talk to about salvation. Baptism, thank you, and thank you, Sarah Sue, because it is works, baptism. Most people think, well, I've been baptized. I've been baptized, I'm good. Well, if you think baptism's getting you to heaven, 
you're not getting the grasp of why Jesus came and died because I just want you to understand something. If baptism could get you to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come die. If being a good person, if being a part of a church, if being a good Catholic, a good Baptist, a good Lutheran, a, a good just person on down the line, if that meant you could get to heaven, just do that. But that can't get you to heaven. That will not get you to heaven. Because the Bible says we've sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned. The wages of sin is death. That's the cost. There's a penalty for sin. If you go out and you, uh, you charge something, whatever it may be, uh, the, 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 the price, there's a price to it. Well, the price of being a sinner is death. And, and, and if you have a debt, the Bible calls it a debt of sin. Imagine having a debt. Imagine owing. And, uh, you know, I owe on our house still. And imagine me calling up the, uh, the mortgage company and saying, Hey, um, uh, I, I, am, um, I've, I have forgiven myself for borrowing this money from you. Um, and from this day forward, I'm not going to borrow any more money from you. And I'm sure Wells Fargo would just say, Well, that's so wonderful. God bless you and be on your way. You know, here you go. You got, you got the deed to the house. It's all yours now. No, they would say, well, sir, I'm glad you've forgiven yourself and uh, not so glad to hear that you're not planning on borrowing any more money, but that's another point. But, um, but here's the thing. That's what people try to do with God. Oh, it's okay. I, I forgive myself. Well, you're responsible for the death of his son. So forgiving yourself, that doesn't work. Uh, now, not to mention this now, uh, I'm, I'm going to do better. I know I've sinned. Anybody sinned? We've all sinned. You've got to be honest about that part. You've sinned. I've sinned. So we say to God, but I'm not going to do it anymore, Lord. I'm going to do better. That's the same example of I'm not borrowing any more money. But what about this that you owe? You have sinned. The wages of sin is death and judgment and ultimately hell. Bad news. Good news? That's why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross to pay for that debt like that I owe on the house. They want that money. They don't want anything else. They want that. That's what they require. God requires one thing, death. You say, well, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But, but why is that? Well, besides the point of that, that is what he requires. Therefore, Jesus died. Therefore, Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin. And so he died on the cross, he rose again the third day, and now he offers you the gift of eternal life. And he says to you, if you will turn from your own sin, turn from the idea that you can do it, that you can, uh, or your church can do it, or anything else, and say, Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me of my sin, I'm sorry for my sin, and I'm going to trust in you and only you. I'm not trusting in my baptism. I'm not trusting in a good person. Jesus, you did it all. Let go of those things and grab on to the wonderful gift that Jesus gives. That's the message that we still need to try to communicate to this lost and dying world. And so, in the time that we have, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But that's actually in the context of the coming of the Lord. So, folks, He is coming again. He could come again at any moment. Uh, you know, they didn't believe judgment was coming in Noah's day. But it came. 
Israel wondered if their deliverer would ever come when they were, when they were bondmen in Egypt. I'm sure there were many, many people that doubted whether or not they would ever be delivered. But guess what? He finally came. And I'm telling you folks, as a child of God, I mentioned it earlier. The, the Jews were promised all from, from Genesis 3.15, folks, Jesus was promised. You get three chapters into the Bible and you've got a promise that Jesus is coming. And, uh, and, and don't you know people started wondering and doubting when, whether or not Jesus was going to be born? But guess what? He was born. Celebrated every year, don't we, Christmas? He came. He came and he died on the cross. He rose again. But, it, but, but as he was ascending up into heaven, the angel said this same Jesus, as you see, see ascending up into heaven, shall return in like manner. He's coming back. And there's a lot of people that doubt that today. But may we as God's people be faithful to believe and, and, and follow what we're going to find out, which in many ways are some very practical instructions, but live our lives in the light of the last days. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I don't know your heart, but if you've never received that gift of salvation, you know what? This would be a wonderful time to do that. Because that's what Jesus did. Somebody says, what do I got to do? You know, people, we get this whole religious idea. Do I need to join the church? Do I need to get back? What do I need to do? No. The Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So literally, the Bible then there, th says, therefore, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, Barb, if you'd come play uh, on the piano, and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. I appreciate your patience, but I just want to say today, as we all stand and prepare to be dismissed, thank you, thank you all for being here tonight. But if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, boy, I wish you'd accept Him today. Just right from your heart, you could pray a prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. Can you admit that to God? Lord, I have sinned. And God, I need you to forgive me. I, I pray that I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I turn to you. And right now, I'm trusting you and only you. You did what needed to be done on the cross. And I want you to come into my heart and my life and be my Savior. Now, you could pray a prayer like that from your heart today and be receiving the gift of salvation. Child of God, what are we going to do, Pastor? I, you see the world's, the way the world's going? I do. What do we need to do? Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Faithful to serve. Faithful to work. Faithful to do the things that don't seem like it matters. Does it seem like it matters to invest in the life of a child? You know, I think about our children's ministries. Does that seem... Well, Pastor, the Lord's coming back. That's, you see what's going on in the world? Well, well even more so. Let, let me spend some time there. Let me do something there to make a difference. Let me make a difference in somebody's life. Let me share the gospel. And in the meantime, I mean, let's get in the marketplace. Let's get in the political world. Let's get where we can to where we can make a difference for the cause of Christ. Um, amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's, uh, let's dismiss in a word of prayer, and uh, you will.